Ta'alofa, and welcome to the Pacific Wayfinder. The Pacific Wayfinder is led by Pacific Voices, from our sisters and cousins in the village to the region's top policymakers. We want to know what security means to you in the Pacific. How do you protect your family during cyclone season? How do you make sure you have enough to eat? And how can you trust the people in charge? We're asking how our Pacific communities stay safe and build resilience. By now you've met my colleague, Ben Bohain. To introduce myself, I'm Eliora Malifa. I'm a Pacific woman and I've worked all over the world observing cultures and communities. And now I'm back home, enjoying these conversations with academics, policymakers, and regional leaders. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Lieutenant Commander Silipa Kumbobola, Fiji's first female Naval Commander, and Blanche Yogerman, General Manager of the Travel Document Branch at the PNG Central Government Office. We'll be talking about women and security in the Pacific, focusing on the representation of women in defense and the prevalence of women in policy spaces. So welcome ladies, how are you both? Binaka, I'm very well, thank you. Silipa, would you mind please speaking on your experiences in the Fijian military? Yeah, thank you. Um, I was first enlisted in um, 1997. That was fresh out of law school. Um, and then it was quite, um, I'd be lying if I do not say that it was a culture shock for me, being the only uh, female at that time to be in the um, the Fiji Navy. Uh, I, I suppose it would have been the same for the men as well, a culture shock for them to have a woman <laughs> uh, amongst them, working with them uh, five days a week. Um, nevertheless, uh, I had brilliant uh, leadership, command team, that actually saw to uh, my gradual adjustment into the culture of uh, of the workplace here in the Fiji Navy, which uh, was and, and still is predominantly a male uh, environment. Other than that, uh, it has been a brilliant and awesome experience for me. I've been blessed with a lot of opportunities for uh, both uh, personal and professional development. My area of work is uh, specializing in international maritime law. Um, the commander at that time, the late um, uh, Captain Esala Teleni, former ambassador as well, um, was my commander who I was very far-sighted. He sent me across as a young officer at that time to, um, to undertake uh, a master's program on international maritime law at the United Nations International Maritime Law Institute in Malta. And uh, that, uh, I can say, is a stepping stone to where I am now. Apart from that is my own personal development. Um, as a, a female officer, um, we now have a total of 31 female yeah, personnels in the Fiji Navy, which is really commendable for a Navy unit uh, within the RFMF, the Republic of Fiji Military Forces, a small unit in that regard. However, we've come a long way. I am currently the, the senior female officer in the Navy, and it has always been um, a pleasure for me to, to also look out for the, the interests and the well-being of um, uh, our younger women uh, here in the Navy. So a privilege to be in this position. So, Silipa, are there many women in the defence forces around the Pacific? Well, let me just start off with um, with Fiji. The women within the um, defence force in Fiji um, have been well established, even though we're still uh, 
uh, a, a minority in comparison to um, the number of uh, the men. However, um, women were first taken into the uh, Fiji military forces back in 1987. With respect to um, our, our sister countries, the Samoa police had, have equal numbers of men and women in recent recruiting corps. Tonga is uh, seeking equal numbers of women and men uh, recruits for police also. Uh, there is still work to do there, like you know most most things. And for Fiji, with respect to um, peacekeeping duties, we have made a commitment of 16% female peacekeeper ratio. Yes, of course. I mean, this there are difficulties that uh, we have to go through in terms of uh, uh, uniforms, infrastructure, culture, and supporting networks that are required back home. Well, um, mothers are out, um, you know, serving uh, the nation through peacekeeping duties. But uh, uh, all those uh, have been addressed uh, through policies, um, and it's really an individual choice as well. Uh, for us uh, women on whether to take up, you know, long-term uh, peacekeeping uh, duties uh, overseas whilst away from our our, our children and, um, and husbands. So Blanche, would you mind talking about how you came to your position in the PNG government? Okay. Um, for me, I uh, graduated in um, 2011 and um, I have a Bachelor of Arts degree in um, political science. From there on, I've been working as a migration officer for three years. I got promoted um, in 2014 as a manager, manager for um, refugee status determination. Um, we've been working with, um, you know, the offshore processing center for Manus and um, for Australia Man in in Manus in um, Nauru, and I've been re- managing the DRSD process, the refugee status determination, and um, I got um, promoted again, and I was moved from refugee status determination branch to passports and citizenship branch. So I've been working in this position for almost two years. So I've been in a manager's position for almost um, six years now. I seem to be one of the youngest member, youngest member of our um, management team. So yeah, I've been privileged and also blessed to be given the opportunity to be in a senior role at a very young age. Blanche, you mentioned that you're young. Um, how does that impact on the work that you do and your role in the PNG government? Speaking from where I come from in Papua New Guinea, it's very hard for young people to be given that opportunity, and especially female, to give, be given that opportunity at a very young age to be adding a branch. Yeah, so for me, it's it's a very good um, stepping stone and it also helped to challenge me as well personally to how do I work smart and not only work hard, but how do I work smart to help to um, leverage my um, position and also help to be be a good role model in the society that, look, if I can do this at a very young age, someone else can also, and another young person, lady can also do the same as well. So, yeah. Just in researching for this interview, it's been quite eye-opening to see some of the anecdotes that people have around, not only in Fiji, also in the region with regards 
to the differences in approach for women in defense spaces and how that has affected community relations even. Yeah, the benefits of uh, the islands or our communities having women involved in national security have proven itself. Um, First of all, there is diversity of thought. Uh, There's wider consideration of solutions uh, to complex problems. And recruiting the best people, you know, from 100% of the population rather than just the 50%. Challenging as well our traditional value sets within security. The realization that strength and, and speed is no longer the only thing that will give one an advantage on the battlefield. The other thing about involving women in, in security, for instance, um, in HADR uh, cases, um, humanitarian assistance, defense and response, uh, you know, after cyclones and um, uh, sort of natural disasters of some sort, bringing in women in the security force to communities and villages helps a lot with enabling government to implement certain assistance to the communities which may practice, um, you know, a bit of a taboo, if I can say, between men and women. So having women present as part of the military detail that is out there to provide assistance to communities and villages helps a lot in that instance. And Silipa, how does your current work or even the work you've done in the past, how does that all tie into the work that you're doing with the Pacific Security College? Okay. Um, Let me just put it simply. The work that um, the Fiji Navy now um, exposes itself to, um, or rather the the demands uh, that is coming from uh, the various government ministries uh, to the Fiji Navy through the, uh, the RFMF, it's so wide ranged, and, and we can talk about uh, things ranging from uh, assistance to fisheries law enforcement, customs law enforcement, um, immigration law enforcement, um, and you're also talking about mining, seabed mining. So you're looking at uh, legislation with respect to seabed mining and how we can assist in in um, the monitoring and surveillance of activities out uh, within our maritime borders. And of course, uh, general assistance to our Fiji police force uh, with respect to um, uh, monitoring uh, activities, transnational crimes that may transit to traverse through our maritime borders. So apart from the law enforcement part of my work, which I've been blessed to be exposed to, uh, also my engagement um, as part of Fiji's delegation to the United Nations, um, most recently on the BBNJ uh, conference that has opened up a whole range of uh, opportunities for me to learn and to absorb as much as I can on the evolving nature, not only of the law, of international law and practice, but more importantly, the evolving nature of state interests. Um, having said that, my involvement with the um, with the college, um, I need to translate that all down to how that applies and becomes relevant to the grassroots level back home to our people at the villages. So it's very simple. You talk about fish, you talk about food security. Uh, You talk about immigration law enforcement. You're talking about your sovereignty. So yes, the important thing is basically translating all that um, knowledge experience to to something that is very relevant to, to our people back home.
The best part of being involved in the college is basically translating that um, strategic, you know, international exposure to our people back home and making sure that whatever we're doing is really relevant to their needs. And uh, one of them, which I'm very passionate about, is capacity building uh, for our people. So Blanche, with the work that you're doing on Manus Island, are there any difficulties uh, navigating transnational government relationships? What is that like? Yes, we had a we we have a lot of challenges when it comes to um, when we were working with manners um, in terms of like you because you're young in that place and so you try to make sure that um, you understand the laws that surrounds that in terms of refugee status determination. How does it you know falls? Um, how do you implement the United Nations Convention for Refugee 1960, 1959, 1967 protocol? How do you articulate that and get that um, legislated in the um, the domestic law? Blanche, I know you also attended the Women and National Security Workshops earlier this year in Port Moresby. Uh, what was your experience with the networks that you made and the people who attended? Do you mind talking about that? Yeah, the objective of the the workshop was to identify what are the current issues that you know Papua New Guinea face in terms of how do we advance. I think the main aim is to advance women's um, participation. So how do we find ways and solutions in terms of coming up with a a government department where they will have a security focal point where they can push issues of women and try to get more women into the security space. So for that um, workshop, I found it to be very interesting because it changes your view on how you see um, gender. For instance, if you don't have women in decision-making, obviously you will have one-sided view and not from the old population because, you know, women come with, they look at, issues at different angles. And so having that diverse view and having them to participate, it helps with nation building as well. So what Silipa had stated, like in Fiji, they have they have a department where they they all they deal with um women's women insurance issue, whereas for us, um we have community development that um actually um takes care of that. But uh most of these issues that are faced by women are really not pushed. Um, I'd say really not uh, taken care of um, in a in that manner. And so it helped us to look at those er- um, those things in those areas, and also trying to get us back into focus on how do we help to advance women in terms of getting them into more decision making role to push this issue forward. And do you think that security policy in our region takes into account the needs of women? I am talking about human security and food security, stuff like that. Yes, the answer to that is yes, with respect to uh, service women. Um, for instance, um, with the, um, the bringing in of the, uh, the recent Guardian class vessel, uh, which uh, Australia um, provided the Fiji Navy with, um, it now has provision for um, women sailors to also go on board and be part of um, the patrol detail. 
the other example I can refer to is um, the policies with respect to um, harassment at the workplace. Uh, yes, we have policies against that uh, in the Defence Force. Once again, these policies have been drafted to ensure that uh, women uh, are comfortably, uh, you know, are comfortably brought into the what is predominantly a, a male uh, workforce. We also have uh, provision for grievances, grievance processes, procedures that is available to uh, not only to women but also to men. Bearing in mind, there are also men that are uh, go through the hassle of. Um, of uh, being harassed. Um, as funny as it may sound, it is a fact um, in this day and age. So we have that. We have that here in the, uh, the Fiji military forces. On, on, at the wider scale, um, nationally, just thinking off the top of my head, yes, uh, the Ministry for Women, uh, Children and Poverty Alleviation here in Fiji has been working very hard with respect to um, introducing policies for the protection of um, uh, women, uh, children, girls, especially in um, cases of, um, well, most recently, um, the, the COVID-19 uh, experience that we've been having the past um, few months. There have been reported cases of, unfortunately, sexual assault and, and those sort of uh, criminal activities occurring uh, within households during the lockdown period. The Ministry for, for Women, Children and Poverty Alleviation have stepped up um, to put in place uh, policies and avenues as well for the protection and avenues for protecting um, the more vulnerable um, member of, members of society. And in, in most instances, especially during uh, the lockdown periods of this uh, COVID-19 um, experience that we're all having worldwide, that has really um, come out prominently, the need to protect the, in, the interests of uh, the more vulnerable. Lady Blanche? So for PNG, I, I believe um, our Department of Personal Management um, had really done a great job in um, rolling out the GESI policy, which is gender, uh, gender equality and social inclusion of all um, women especially involvement of women, not only women, but also um, people with disabilities as well. And now all government departments are, are encouraged to include that in their structure so that um, women's issue when they're faced in like, you know, like sexual harassments and all of that would be addressed through that, through that avenue. It's not only to address issues, but also to get women to involve in more decision-making. Because currently, we don't have a lot of women who are in um, a decision-making um, a leadership role, and hence that, that policy's main focus is to get women's involvement in leadership, leadership roles. So, yeah. And how effective do you think policies are being enforced at the moment in the region? For um for Papua New Guinea, especially in my in the organization that I currently am working under, I'd say it's very effective because it's not only looking at looking at like you know the abuses in the office or, but it's also looking at how, looking at policies, how policies are written, is it gen gender sensitive? So, for us, it's slowly taking shape. I'd say. 
how these policies impact the current legislations that we have on um, ensuring that equal rights of men and women and men and women are seen equally in terms of um, participating in nation building and also in their respective organizations that they serve. Yeah, I just like to relate once again to my experience in terms of um, uh, implementing um, policies uh, that protect the the interests of our female um, service women in the Navy and in uh, the RFMF as a whole. My approach has been to ensure that our male counterparts realize and understand that we're not here to take away their rights. We're not here as part of a women's rights movement, but rather we are here to serve the nation as much as they are. Um, my approach has also been to uh, lean on the word of God. Um, we are from the Pacific. We mainly, predominantly, are Christians in uh, how we've been brought up and the values that we espouse to uh, have been predominantly Christians, of course, unless if you've converted. Um, so my approach has been uh, when I'm advocating it is biblical to have women to work alongside men for the main reason of support and help. The first woman, Eve, was created to be a helper to, to Adam. That really is the concept of, um, of having women work alongside men, not only in the military, really, in any work environment. Um, I've had the privilege as well to have worked in a number of statutory authorities uh, here in Fiji. Um, I did a bit of stint um, in the civilian environment. I worked myself up to executive management level. And that is really what I have seen, that women come into the workforce with a different perspective on how things should be done. And having those differences, you know, uh, looking at things from every angle actually helps organizations. So that has been my approach in trying to ensure that our policies are effectively implemented. And I have found, I have found that our men actually take that on board. They come on board and the transition is smooth. Uh, I don't really need to continue to harp about uh, rights, so to speak. Uh, but really just lean on the fact that we're here to assist one another uh, for the very fact that God created us differently for that very reason. <laughs> if everyone was the same, it'll be really a boring life uh, and we wouldn't really be achieving much. That's where innovation comes in. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, the, the answer to your question, has um, the implementation of these policies been successful? Uh, I'd be lying if I say that they have been 100% successful. Like in anything that we implement, there's always a need for tweaking uh, here and there. But um, the good thing about uh, the islands, the region, is that we are starting. We are starting to crack that glass ceiling. We are starting, and it'll take uh, it'll take a while. But it also takes perseverance for people like us, I suppose, with Blanche in, in the position that she holds, and, and I suppose with me, um, the perseverance to continue, to continue with, um, with what we've been called to do in the workforces that uh, we're in, engaged in. Minak. So we've talked a lot about women, obviously, but what is the role of men in all of this? Um, can you both talk about how 
men have made a positive difference for women in security in the region? Sure. I I think um, for us is to make sure, like um, like I was talking about, um, the workshop does not only cover women's participation, but it also um, included men as well because they wanted men to drive this. So the role of men is also as important because they need to see, like um, Silipa had stated, that they need to see that we are all not here to take their jobs, but we are all here to work together to build the organizations that we we currently work with, um, to be also help in nation building as well, to protect our sovereignty. So men also, I'd say men also play a very big, big role in um, advancing and also in trying to help women to take part in the opportunity to push women to, and also encourage women to be part of the, to join security um, agencies as well. So why men's role is very important, why men play a very important role is because they're privileged at some point. They they play a role by encouraging and also supporting women in trying to push push for women's advancement as well and development as well. And um, for instance, what our prime minister had done to try to push that bill for 22 reserve seats in parliament. It's a great step for Papua New Guinea, I'd say, in terms of getting women to be participating in the highest office of, of this country. For Papua New Guinea, once we start getting women's um, representation in in the highest office, like in, in parliament, I believe it will help to push. And men has a lot of role to play in that as well. Personally, for me, I have a lot of um, great, people, especially men that had um, also helped me in terms of pushing and also believing that, you know, you're capable of doing this and they have um, encouraged, they have pushed you and they have made recommendations to climb the ladder and see them as, you know, equal participants and not like silly pets, they did steal, steal the job from you, but, you know, do that job that we are all here to do. My personal experience and where am I? I I am where I'm at right now because of the men um, leaders, the the male um, commanders, the male CEOs (laughs) that I've had um, have helped me in in the progression of my career. I suppose uh, at this stage it would be appropriate for me to also acknowledge uh, the commander of the Fiji military forces. Um, who has done significantly in raising up the awareness of uh, the importance of including women in the Fiji military forces. Um, And also, and I'm referring to uh, Rear Admiral uh, Nopoto, also with uh, our male uh, uh, commander here at the Fiji Navy, the inclusion and the recruitment of 30 uh, female sailors is also admirable. Uh, once again, we cannot leave our male uh, counterparts uh, out of this picture whenever we talk about uh, women empowerment. I'd rather refer to it as women inclusion <laughs> rather than empowerment. So including us women in um, predominantly male work uh, forces is, uh, places is, is a privilege. Uh, once uh, we get them to understand, as I mentioned earlier, uh, really that 
we're here to help them achieve the organizational goals and, and objectives. You know, it's really a home run <laughs> for us, uh, for our sisters. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all that I'd like to add. Lastly, what are both of your thoughts on creating space for future generations of Pacifica women who are looking to work in the security space? Well, for me, once again, I'm sorry, I'm very limited to the defense force. My recent inclusion into the advisory board of the college, um, for me, is a stepping stone to achieve uh, that goal, apart from a few others that I have, um, really for the region. Uh, and I, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank the college for this opportunity to have this conversation, um, knowing how far-reaching it is going to be received across the region. And uh, for any women or young girls that may be listening into this podcast, uh, you know, sky's the limit. Uh, there's nothing that's too difficult. With God, all things are possible. I guess Blanche and I are testimonies to this. Um, yes, there are cultural barriers, but uh, there's always a way around barriers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you just gotta know um you just gotta have the network you just gotta know whom to go to and and pray <laughs> god answers prayers and uh, i believe that's uh, how blanche and i have have come this far <laughs> so yeah that's all for me Inak. yeah I, I totally agree with you silapa it's um like our culture plays a very big role even though we're in a um, 21st century, culture is very much instinct in us. Like wherever you go, you carry it with you. So we women in the Pacific, we face a lot of these issues. You know, our culture is predominantly male-oriented. We all come from a patrilineal society, whereas um, only a few matrilineal society. Our boys have the courage to say, I can be who I want to be. I can be anyone, but not our girls. So our aim is to um, get our girls to encourage them to try to speak up, especially speaking up is so important on what they want. Having role models in society is the number one thing. And we need to start installing those type of things in them at a very young age so that they have a goal and vision that they look towards in society and not only from afar, but in their own country as well. And you play a very good, very good role as well. And I play a very big role in trying to encourage them to get into the space in which we work in. We have so much obstacles against us, but if we work together and get our girls to say that whatever negativity that comes your way you have to listen and you have to start pushing for what you believe it's right hard work pay, plays a lot of um, this and say no say no to what's wrong that's the right step to not listening to people that are saying oh you're female but you can't do this just you know turn a blind eye to that and just work on your goals that you have and what you want to maintain that's all that matters because I come from a place where I am the first uh, from my family to graduate from university and come this far so it's it's a, it's a very big achievement and it's it's a very big achievement for me and also my family as well and so I try to break barriers as I go and set new standards for our family and also the girls in our society as well. No, you're so right. I couldn't agree more, Blanche. Uh, look, on that note, I want to thank you both for joining me on the Pacific Wayfinder. 
Lieutenant Commander Silipa Kumbobola is Fiji's first female naval commander, and Blanche Yogerman is the general manager of the Travel Document Branch at PNG's central government office. That wraps up another episode of the Pacific Wayfinder. You can find the transcript and link for this episode on our website, pacificsecurity.net, where you can listen and subscribe. Look for us on Facebook and Twitter and your favorite podcasting platform. Our theme music is the song Tabaran by Not Drowning Waving. And please tune in next time for more discussions on the Pacific Wayfinder.